Welcome to episode five of The Primary Pod. I'm your host, Brian Shackman, also the host of Primary Source, Monday through Friday on New England Cable News, 7 p.m. and re-airs again at 11 p.m. We've had uh, such a privilege in these podcasts to be able to discuss a wide range of topics from, of course, the NBC News embeds and their experience on the road basically 24-7. And today, you know, a real treat and one of the Honestly, the privileges of the job I'm doing is to get to talk to incredible public servants in a different context. And today we have former Massachusetts Governor William Weld with us, who's running for the Republican nomination, of course, uh, trying to unseat President Trump. And he's going against Joe Walsh, of course, former congressman as well. Uh, And first of all, Governor Weld, thank you for being with me. Brian, it's my treat. Thank you. I I have two specific things I want to talk about today. And and of course, you want to get your message out to the voters. Uh, You want to win the New Hampshire primary, and you're focused on that, but it's also an amazing privilege that you were a lawyer on the Watergate team. And I'm just curious, some of the differences culturally, politically, in terms of the work, I mean, give me one or two differences that you see from the early 70s to now. Well, essentially, President Nixon was forced to resign uh, when it became clear he'd been lying on television to the American people and saying, I'm not a crook. I didn't know anything about the cover-up conspiracy. The cover-up is worse than the crime. All of that was the big lie. And then that became clear. And within a couple of days, Barry Goldwater took the leader of the Republican uh, House and the Republican Senate over to see President Nixon and said, two-thirds of your support in the Senate has disappeared. You have absolutely no support. Uh, You have lied to me for the last time. Here's the pen, basically. Nixon was gone within days. So uh, Nixon had a sense of shame and he had a sense of history, uh, neither of which I perceive in today's uh, today's way. Well, I was going to say because a lot of people believe the president has lied to them today. Uh, So contextually, the only difference is, is that there's more people around the current president who still support him. Is that is that basically the only difference? Well, I think the president has stood revealed as more of a huckster, almost a circus barker, than uh, Dick Nixon ever did. Uh, President Nixon was guilty of one lie. He said once, uh, you know, tell him it's the CIA, tell him it's national security, tell him they should drop that investigation. Everything else was trying to cover up that one conversation, whereas uh, President Trump has been all over the place trying to aggrandize his personal fortune, his political standing, by abusing his office. And, and he, someone has persuaded him that there are no limits on his power under Article Two of the Constitution. He goes around uh, to this day saying, I have this Article Two and I can do anything I want. And essentially he's saying, you know, if I have a power, like say the, the power to give a pardon, it doesn't matter if I gave the pardon because someone bribed me with $10 million because you can't examine why I did something because my power under Article Two is absolute. That's a dictator talking. That's an right. autocrat talking. That's not a president of the United States talking. And that's what he wants. Well, basically, if he's yeah, not... Yeah, that he, is what he wants. Right, and if he's not <laughs> impeached and he wins re-election and because certain statute of limitations, he can do that. I mean, he could... Forget about the Fifth Avenue shooting somebody thing. I, I mean, I think he, people think that he wants to be a dictator. That's why he, he is so enamored with the Putins and the Erdogans right. of the world. Yeah. So as somebody who, who loves this country, and there's plenty of people who support him who say they love the country, right? So if you believe that he truly wants to be able to do whatever he wants, 
How do you convince the person who says they love their country, veterans or, or what have you, who are so adamant about their support of him? Is it just because he sticks it to the career politicians, that he sticks it to the, the conventional wisdom of Washington, that they well, love him it, so much? it was kind of an entertaining campaign that he ran, and, and the phrase drain the swamp was a perfect phrase. And I can remember watching the early debates when there were still 12 Republicans on stage, turning to my wife and kids and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's the third question in a row where he gave the best answer. And he said a lot of things that were very uh, appealing uh, during, uh, during the campaign, all of which have fallen by the wayside as he's gotten so enamored. Uh, with this bright, shiny toy of being able to control the entire government. And he seems to me to be bending all his efforts in that direction. I mean, he won't have uh, uh, secretaries in the cabinet. He wants only acting secretaries because right. he knows they have no power. And so the power revolves back to uh, the Oval Office. Uh, but he's made no secret of the fact that he wants to be an autocrat, that he wants to demolish our democratic institutions. Uh, the phrase, uh, a free press is the enemy of the people, that's straight out of the playbook of Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler, straight out of the playbook. It fascinates me, too, that he kind of, after the Mueller report, was in the clear. And, you know, you talk about what he's done and what he's doing. The Democrats didn't have these conversations with Ukraine. You know, so be, I, I'm not taking either side. I don't. But when I look at it, if he had just done nothing with Ukraine, Right. Or if he, you know, no one, no Democrats the day after the Mueller report were saying we need to look back at the 2016 election uh, because we need to continue to discredit Trump's election. Like the Democrats had sort of moved on with their own shame of losing that election. But all the things that happened with the Ukraine call stem emanate from Trump. It's so he did that. It's well, not, but they don't emanate from the 2016 election. They eliminate from him. Uh, they emanate from him trying to get an unfair advantage in the 2020. Either election way, whether he's trying to go back, by having people trash Joe Biden on the international stage, both of them. But they all—he's doing that. He's going back to 2016. He's making the phone calls. And so when they talk about this, uh, the Democrats want to do this since day one. There's tons of Democrats that wanted him impeached from day one. There's—I don't think there's any doubt about that. But Trump is the one. Who had the phone call? Trump is the one who had a million-dollar donor become the ambassador to EU, and they were talking back and forth. I mean, don't you think the Sondland phone call to me kind of is potentially? I don't want to say smoking gun, but like to me, if the president actually, if Sondland under oath says yes, I, I know he's compromised. If he says yes, I did talk to the president, and that was said. I don't know what evidence could be clearer about. What happened? Well, the conversation with the president of Ukraine was pretty clear uh, in itself. But you're right. The room is absolutely full of smoke. And, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of patriotic people who are on the Trump side of things. Uh, the, the irony is that everybody who's involved in this huge maelstrom of an election that we're in now wants the best thing for the United States. Uh, and I think that uh, a good percentage of the population has been uh, bamboozled by Mr. Trump, who is a huckster, who's been playing the shell game, and they're not looking under the right shell right. Uh, because his actions are really dangerous to our democracy. And he's not getting the job done in Washington because he won't listen to anybody and he won't read everything, uh, anything. And he's, you know, he has uh, substantial political skills. But he ain't no he ain't no stable genius the way he claims. You know he's he threatened to sue the uh, 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 University of Pennsylvania if his aptitude scores or his grades Released. ever became public. Yeah, right. so that's that's a real genius talking. You know, and I've said this to many people. You know, trying a different tack on China, 
That's a good idea. Trying a different tack on North Korea is a good idea. Trying to deal with a bunch of these issues, uh, immigrations, are all good ideas. It's the execution of it. You know, I, I mean, as someone who worked, I worked at CNBC for years. I mean, the China issue and the intellectual property, that's something that we've all known about. Why should they have third world status when they're the second biggest economy in the world? All those things are good ideas. But it's, it, and I think that's why people have hung on, because policies, they want to see that stuff follow through. So what I want to ask you is that when, you, when you're campaigning in New Hampshire, and, you know, the passion that you, you bring to this conversation, uh, you're going, it's really a David and Goliath fight for you, even though you, you, you're, you've done so much in your life, right? And you've so, you're so accomplished, but it's a tall task. And is it, is it the motivation for you that, that you believe in your soul that you are so right you here? You know, when I'm up in New Hampshire talking to people who are my kind of people, I don't feel like David. I feel like Goliath. There's no one in the room except me and the people I'm talking to. And they are saying, you're absolutely right. And this guy is Looney Tunes. And they make you know, hand signals in the air to indicate that. But he still draws 12,000 to Manchester and fills that arena. He does. He does. And and that's, you know, that's not the entire population of New Hampshire, but he can kindle a certain frenzy. That's, that's correct. And that's the drain the swamp. And, uh, you know, I I myself was uh, quite taken with that slogan because I've seen the Washington bureaucracy in action. You know, it is a pretty thing. Yeah, it is a swamp. That's exactly right. You know, and, and so you're inspired by what you're hearing from the people in New Hampshire. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm talking to them uh, across an even table, and I, I don't feel like an underdog. And there's certainly nobody is disrespectful except a few, a uh, few Trump supporters who maybe had a couple pops before the party. Uh, but right. um, you know, er- everyone's uh, listening carefully, and uh, it just it pains me how much people are in pain, and uh, it's uh, it's just the ringer uh, that the president has uh, put this country through by his. Uh, really outlandish insistence that he's a monarch, that he's a king, that he's not accountable to anybody. And people know at some level that that's wrong, uh, but uh, he, he's just got such a head of steam up uh, as a professional entertainer that I think the issue has become confused. And that's the difference between now and President Nixon and the 1970s. You know, then there was kind of a purity in our national discourse and everybody watched the same TV shows and the right. seven o'clock news. And when it came out that, uh, that everything Nixon had been saying on television was a lie, he had nowhere to go. He had nowhere to hide. The issue was not confused. The room was not full of smoke. And that's why he was out of there within days. So, I mean, and, but we're not and going I back. And I say all that wistfully. Right, we're, but we're not going <laughs> back. I mean, my whole thing is, you know, uh, Thomas Cole, I say this, Thomas Cole is an, uh, a colonial American artist. He had this uh, five-piece thing called the Course of Empire, right? And then, you know, pastoral, and then you, there's decadence, and then there's the slide. And then it goes bit back to sort of savagery. And a lot of people think we are on the back nine to mix metaphors of the greatness of our country. And so are we seeing sort of the deconstruction of the institutions that made this country? And that is the, the macro argument that, you know, for me, as someone who studied history and government, that makes me sad, regardless you know, of what you think a, about Trump. It's a, it's a terrifying thought. In, in the Roman Empire, they would have called it bread and circuses. Have we reached the, the bread and circuses stage, where we, the, we, the people are so hungry for entertainment that uh, all you got to do if you're an emperor is you give them plenty of bread in the street, they got plenty to eat, and then you put on these huge circuses to entertain them. And that's what Trump is doing. That's exactly what Trump is doing. 
you know, should should that be enough? No, it shouldn't be enough. Uh, we should get uh, serious-minded people running the government in Washington. It's serious business. We're the we're the dominant uh, power in the world, and entrusting all this to one man who's careening around, really without uh, any forethought as to what he's going to do, except to inflate himself because of his own personal needs uh, to have everyone praise him and feel. You know, I think like like most bullies, uh, at some level, Mr. Trump is quite insecure. Yep. And uh, the, the the poor country is being asked to feed his insecurities. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't think that's right or just mm. or proper. I don't think it's good for the country. And I'm going to keep on saying so. Yeah. Governor Weld, we really appreciate the time here on the primary pod. And best of luck on the trail. Thanks, Brian. See you soon.